Hello, and welcome to the Kingdom Corner Podcast, where you can propel your faith into even deeper levels as we discuss how to live the kingdom culture on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus prayed. Here's your host, the great Matt Geib. There came a woman unto Jesus, and in her hand she held an alabaster box. And with much openness of heart that day, she poured her ointment out at his feet. And she said, I will pour out my life at your feet. I will pour out my life at your feet as an offering of love and worship unto you. I will pour out my life at your feet. Oh, I will pour out my life at your feet as an offering of love and worship unto you. So we have come unto you, Jesus, with nothing else but our lives alone to give. So with much openness of heart today, we lay our sacrifice at your feet. And I will pour out my life at your feet. Oh, I will pour out my life at your feet as an offering of love and worship unto you. Oh, I will pour out my life at your feet. I will pour out my life at your feet as an offering of love and worship unto you. We now pour out our lives at your feet. We now pour out our lives at your feet and with offerings of love and worship unto you. Yes, we pour out our lives at your feet. Yes, we pour out your lives at your feet as an offering of love and worship unto you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for this day, for your blessings upon our lives, those that listen to the Kingdom Corner podcast today, tomorrow, and in the future. Lord, we just offer ourselves to you as an offering of love, as this song so aptly says. Lord, that's all we have to give is is of ourselves. And that's all you want 
is all of us. Lord, teach us what it is to pour ourselves out at your feet as an offering of service and love. Teach us what it is to really know you as your son Jesus knew you, Lord. I just pray blessing and revelation and uh, just all abundance on everyone that listens today to these simple words. Lord, take these words and anoint them. Take these words and let them fly to the hearts of your people. Let them penetrate the hearts and minds of those that would listen. Lord, that, that we just might be those vessels of service to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen and amen. Good day, good day, Kingdom Corner Podcast listeners and devotees. The great Matt Guy with you once again on a midsummer day here. It still seems kind of cool here in Washington State, but that's all right with me because the rest of you all all over the country seem to be really under a heat wave. I like it a little warmer, but I will not complain. And I'm just so excited to get back into the book of Philippians. This is about the seventh session or lesson we've been on in Philippians. And last time we were together was uh, the middle of May, about May 9th, actually, was the last time I taught in chapter 2 of Philippians here. And at that time, we talked about or we taught on uh, the journey to joy. You know, Philippians, following the admonitions of Paul, um, the commandments of Paul in this book, the simple thoughts are a journey to joy. And we began to discuss that. And the way I taught this section of Scripture several times before, it turned into one lesson, which uh, I have entitled, that, that I've kept this title, uh, it turned into a lesson that I called the Kenosis Encounter. The Kenosis Encounter. And I started that the last time. But, you know, I never got through um, all these passages here. So I titled that the, uh, the Journey to Joy. And now we're going to flow into the kenosis encounter because those two, uh, these two themes are so um, directly tied together. They're so intimately involved. Um, you can't have a journey to joy unless you decide that you're going to have a kenosis encounter. You can't have the full joy of the Lord and really um, come to the apex of that journey without a kenosis encounter. We're going to look at that today. That's um, the Greek word here for the, the theme of what we'll be discussing. This is a wonderful, wonderful experience, and yet it can be very painful at the same time. When you have this experience, when you really have a kenosis encounter, which is what the song talked about, a pouring out of ourselves before the Lord, um, that will bring the most joy that a person, that a human being could ever have is a true kenosis encounter. Um, wow. It can be wonderful and painful at the same time. Uh, it's not easy to pour yourself totally, totally out and just completely deny yourself, which is what we began to talk about the last time. I want to go back and just review a little bit, and then we're going to get into the, the meat of the lesson today, what it, what it is to have a kenosis encounter. Having said that, this is such a beautiful portion of Scripture. I just want to take the time to read it to you again. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, I'm starting at chapter 2, verse 1 of Philippians. If 
there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind or humility of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Now we go on. This really encapsulates what we're talking about today when we start out here about putting others above ourselves and um, providing love and, and removing all conceit and self-ambition and, and, and seeking to push our brethren above ourselves. This really encapsulates what we're talking about here. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, or let mine be, is literally what it says, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. That's the reading of the word. We're talking about having a kenosis encounter. We'll go back to the what I call part A, is um, where we talked about taking that journey to joy last last time in May, <clears throat> and we're gonna we're just gonna review a little bit. And this is an exhortation uh, we start out saying to having the mind of Christ. Literally, let mind be is what the scriptures say. Let mind be. Let it. Let it. Um, penetrate you. Let it assimilate into you. Let it, like osmosis, let us sink into your heart, into your spirit, the mind of Christ. That's the beginning of the journey to joy. That's the beginning of the process of what we're going to talk about, the kenosis encounter. This be constantly thinking is what Paul said. This Have this constantly in your mind. Um, and it points back to Philippians uh, 2 to 4, verses 2 to 4, we want to think the same thing, have the same love, be of heart unity or agreement, and carry one another in a low-running mind or humility. And then we want to see, uh, number four, see our brethren actually excel and surpass where we are. Amen? Is that where your heart is? I know in years past, uh, I've kind of struggled with that at times. But real joy comes in pushing your brethren forward into the into the realms and heights of God uh, uh, and your children and your family. That's, that's what real joy is, and that's what Jesus' ministry was all about. <clears throat> and we talked about the bottom line in, this, in these verses was we were to emulate Jesus, we're to copy Jesus, but there's so much more to that than, uh, than just that's the first step. A child, when they want to be like their dad or their mom, they begin to copy what their dad and mom are like. But then uh, 
in, and then we want to we want to take it even further. In this passage, it says we want to have the mind of Christ. There's more to than just imitating Christ. We talked about First John two twenty seven that we have the anointing of Jesus, which is inside of us, and therefore we have um, access to having the mind of Christ. We talked about First Corinthians two. We went through that quite a bit the last time. We have known the mind of the Lord, or who has known the mind of the Lord is how this ends up. Uh, uh, I'm going to read that. Is um, Let me see, 1 Corinthians 2, and this is about verse 16. Who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Well, of course, nobody knows the mind of the Lord. However, as incredible as it sounds, we have those same spiritual thoughts. We have the mind of Christ. That's what it says in this scripture, we have the mind of Christ. We have the let mind be inside of us if we will receive it by faith. We don't have to pray to have it. We have it. If we will just accept it and receive it and and let it assimilate into us, let it like osmosis penetrate us, right? Now let's go on. This is where we're going to get into the next part of this t- uh, today. Kind of reviewed that. <clears throat> you know, there's a lot more to it. Go back and listen to May 9th's episode on the journey to joy, and that really gets into this. But now, like the second part of this, like I said, when I taught this once before, I taught it all together under one title, um, a kenosis encounter. But this has been two parts here, and now we're getting into the second part. Verse 6 who being in the form of God, and we're talking about Jesus, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. The word form in the Greek has no reference to like shape or a physical object, like uh, something that's the shape of a hexagon or an octagon. I think the stop signs we see on the road are octagons. That's not what we're referring to here. This word is used in a philosophical sense to denote that expression of being, of one's being, which carries in itself the distinctive nature and character of being to whom it pertains. Wow. Let me read this again. This word is used in a philosophical sense to denote that expression of being, which carries in itself the distinctive nature and character of the being. And we're talking about Jesus carries the distinctive nature of the being, Abba, that's who the being is, to whom it pertains, and thus thus permanently identified with that nature and character. That's Jesus. He was totally identified with his father. We could read in the scriptures where he said, my meat was to do the will of my father. I don't do anything. I'm paraphrasing these verses in the gospel. I don't do anything unless I hear from the father. That's what he said. And and this word form uh, is a great word. It kind of speaks of like when we say a player, and I'm thinking of, the ex-quarterback here who's been traded to the Broncos, we'll see how he does. Russ Wilson, Russell Wilson, he if if we were seeing him play in a game and he just, let's say, when they come out here the first game of the year and he has a perfect game and throws six touchdowns, we'll say that Russ Wilson was in perfect form. You know, the way he played was in perfect form. He threw six long ball touchdowns. He dodged and, and, and um, 
eluded many tacklers and made many yards. He was in perfect form. That is, in perfect form, based that is on the, uh, you know, of the character that he plays with, of the way he plays, you know. That's what we're talking about. There is no word in all the languages of the world to convey the depths of the meaning of this word morphe or form. It's um, This word form is used in a futile attempt to describe the essence of God's being. That's right. Try to describe the being of God. Uh, we can go through the scriptures and learn a lot about the nature of God and the names of God to see what his character is like. You know, he's a provider. Um, he's a healer. He's all those things. You can go through the Old Testament words for God and find out a lot. And yet it's a futile attempt to really describe all of God's nature and being. I think that's something we're going to be learning about through all eternity because it's it's an eternal, it will be an eternal unfolding to us, the nature of God. Um, a futile attempt to describe the essence of God's being and how he expresses himself. Our minds cannot conceive of this fully even at times when he reveals himself to us. See Exodus 33, 18 to 33. Beautiful scripture. Moses was, you know, I'll paraphrase, was bugging God to show him his glory. Abba, God, I want to see your glory. So the Lord said, okay, I will do that. I will show you my glory. But, you know, you have to hide behind this rock. And God did show Moses the glory so much glory that if he'd have been out in the open, it would have destroyed him. And glory there also is a derivative of goodness. God's goodness and glory, I like the word glory. There's a lot of different facets to that word. There's a heaviness about it, a, a richness about it, uh, something that overcomes you when you're really in the glory, and yet goodness too. God is good. Uh, it's really hard to really get the fullness of that. And yet Moses was so taken up with God's glory when he came down from the mount. I believe he had the Ten Commandments with him. His face had to have a veil over it, or the people would have been blinded and maybe destroyed by the glory that Moses was carrying. Can you believe this? That's what we're talking about here with Morphe, who being in the Morphe of God. It's used here in an outward expression of an inward and perfect identity. Do you know you carry that? You carry a part of that inside of you, the glory of God. Um, and now we're going to refer to uh, where, where an expression of an inward and perfect identity truly relates to the transfiguration. When Jesus was there with Peter, James, and John, and Elijah and Moses showed up, and he was transfigured. The Greek word there is metamorphood, where we get our word metamorphosis from. Um, and morphe is also a form of that word. Isn't this beautiful? And metamorphosis has to do also in our science, the way we talk about that word metamorpho, metamorphosis, um, the changing from a cocoon of, a, of a, a worm to a butterfly. What a beautiful process that is, you know? Um, I mean, my, I had a, a lady friend of our family who uh, homeschools her children and they got a terrarium and they got some cocoons and they put them in there and they watched these cocoons gradually, you know, they, they didn't seem to do anything at first. And then 
after some time, I don't know, months time, maybe more, they began to break out. And then the butterfly, that little creature that was all wet and everything and just still forming came out and kind of, you know, plopped out of that cocoon. And uh, that was the most critical time because the wings had to be stretched out and then dry. And then it would take off. But, you know, the kids tried to help out with that a little bit in a couple uh, instances watching these cocoons. And, you know, they, they actually damaged the butterfly, the one butterfly till, you know, was destroyed. And we can't help out with that process in ourselves. This is a process. That's what it speaks to, spiritually speaking. It's got to be God that does that. The cross-references to transfiguration or metamorpho are found four places in the Bible only. Matthew 17.2, Mark 9.2, which is the transfiguration, that account. And then 2 Corinthians 3.18, which says, um, you know, we are changed or metamorphosed from glory to glory. Isn't that amazing? Romans 12.2 talks about, um, let's see, having our minds renovated uh, by the renewing or the renovation of our mind, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed, be metamorphosed by the renovation is a way of putting that really of your mind. Oh, what a beautiful word we have. We can take hold of the morphe process who being in the form of God, the metamorpho, uh, the metamorphosis, the uh, morphe of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. I preached on that a little bit today. Somebody needed to hear it. Amen. Jesus was and is the divine essence of God. He was and is expressing it to mankind from when he began to do that before Peter, James, and John. He began to express it there on the Mount of Transfiguration uh, from his innermost being. We can do likewise. Uh, Colossians 2.9, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. The entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. Colossians 2.9. Let's go on to the next phrase. So uh, we see who being in the morphe of God, what does it say? Jesus thought it not robbery. Now this is an interesting term. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Let's talk about that thinking it's not robbery. It means uh, two things, basically. It has two different meanings. Or they're really closely related. It, it has to do with um, robbery means a thing unlawfully seized. Um, that's one thing. Like a treasure to be clutched and kept at all costs. Like if you have a treasure in your house, if you have jewels in your house, if you have gold bricks in your house, uh, you know, that's what it's talking about, clutching that and treasuring it, not letting it go at all costs. Um, that's one thing that it means there. Uh, and then, <clears throat> let's see, what else do we have? That's what I have there. Robbery means a thing unlawfully seized. That's one part. And the other part is a treasure to be clutched and kept at all costs. Seem to be two opposite meanings, but they are related. Um a thing unlawfully seized, you know. The context uh, defines it here for us in the Greek language the meaning of the phrase. So basically, uh, we're going to get to the meaning here. Verse 2 says, Jesus gave up, or you can look at verse 2. 
He gave up his rights to express his divine nature, the morphe of God. He gave that up, uh, those rights. You know, he laid that down. That's what it's talking about. He did not think it was a thing to be seized. In other words, he wasn't trying to seize it. This is mine. Even though as the glorified, the overcoming, the perfect son of God, it, was, it belonged to him. But he let it go, is what this is saying. Let's look at this translation <clears throat> from the Amplified. Who, although he existed in the form and unchanging essence of God, being one with him, possessing the fullness of all divine attributes, the entire nature of deity did not regard God, did not regard equally, equally. Let's go, let's start again. Got to slow down. I get excited. Who, although Jesus existed in the form and unchanging essence of God, that is, as one with him, possessing the fullness of all the divine attributes, that is, the entire nature of Abba's deity, Jesus did not regard being equal with God, a thing to be grasped or asserted. He wasn't grasping for that. He wasn't trying to get that, we could say, as if he did not already possess it or was afraid of losing it. Jesus did not consider it robbery to be equal with Abba. This is what it's really saying. Yet he did not attempt to grasp it, though it was his right. I want to read that again. Jesus did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, Yet he did not attempt to grab it, though that was his right. Okay? So uh, he let that go, so to speak. He gave it up. That's what this verse is saying. He gave that up. Verse 7, But he made himself of no reputation, reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. Now we're getting to where the rubber meets the road. We're getting to the real meat of this lesson, of this, uh, what God is trying to show us here. Jesus did not see the treasure of his expression of deity as something to be seized and kept at all costs, but he willingly, he willingly laid it down and gave it up. He relinquished his rights to that expression. Jesus experienced, and this is what we're talking about here, um, Jesus experienced and participated in kenosis. That is an emptying of self. Kenosis literally means to empty oneself. And that's the translation. When we read the, the verse here, verse 7, made himself of no reputation. That is the, the, for those five words, made himself of no reputation. The Greek word just for that whole thing is kenosis. Jesus, you could say, emptied himself. That's a simple way of saying those five words. He kenosis himself and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. We started out in the beginning of this last time, May 9th, wanted to try to get through this whole thing, but it's become like two lessons in these verses. You know, the first portion here of Philippians 2, the journey to joy starts out with letting mind be of Christ in you, and then that leads to part B. You can't have the let mind be. You can't really, there's really no proof of letting mind be, of assimilating the mind of Christ, of having the osmosis of Christ's nature in your mind and heart. The evidence of that is it will lead to a kenosis experience. That's how I'll say. It will lead to an emptying of yourself in the form of a servant, like our song talked about. 
you know, I will pour out my life at your feet. You know, the, the lady gave a whole year's of salary. Uh, that's what that perfume was worth. And not only, you know, I, that's just such a wonderful, wonderful uh, story there. There's so much to it. I mean, she came out in this public meeting and did that. First of all, women were kind of thought of as uh, secondary citizens in that culture. It must have been terribly frightening and humiliating for Mary to do that. You know, you know what woman's going to come to the forefront in a meeting and do that? That didn't happen in that day. And on top of it, she cried, and, and with her hair, she was down at his feet, washing the feet of Jesus. The, the 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 total example of pouring oneself out in servitude, right? The form of a servant. Let's go on. Again, as in verse 6, morphe, form. Servant is a word Paul used in Philippians 1.1 when he described himself as a bond slave. So bond slave, servant. The Greek grammar construction implies that Jesus first took on the mode of a bond slave before he emptied himself. In other words, he became a servant first. Let mine be. He, he became that servant first. Mary, when she went and she stood out in front of those people, she, uh, you could say she decided she was going to be a slave to Jesus first, to what to love him. And that was exemplified by her standing up and going forward and breaking that um, alabaster box on his feet and washing his feet with her hair, you know, and, and then she, that was the point. Then the act came after she had the courage to stand up and do that. The, the act came of pouring herself out. That was showing the servitude, right? Um, emptied himself or she also emptied herself, you know, by taking the role of a bond slave. She was a slave, a bond slave of love. You know, she didn't care what anybody thought in that meeting, you know, even though women didn't do that kind of thing, let alone give a such expensive perfume that was worth a year of salary. Um, having taken the form of a bond slave, Jesus emptied himself. The opposite in a way of verse six, Jesus gave up his lordship in a sense to serve us. He emptied out himself for us. Matthew 10, 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus was exchanging his deity lordship to be a servant. You know, gets back into what we talked about, let mine be, into the um, phrono there. We talked about that word and how it related to Sophronis Moss and how we can curb our thoughts and minds to begin to take the form of a servant, to begin to, to put our own thoughts out of the way and take on the mind of Christ. And, and also, real servanthood is pushing others forward, you know. By the act of kenosis, Jesus totally, totally obliterated his self-life and emptied himself of every ounce of deity. Can we say this? Are we totally obliterating, obliterating, our self-life today and pouring ourselves out for others. What an example. You cannot do that without the Spirit of God. You know, you can't do that in your own strength. For the Philippians, kenosis, this is why he's getting into this so strongly here in chapter 2, was the key to unity. Remember the two women who um, 
were possibly two soloists there. Um, I can't remember their names right now. You you can go back in the the lessons, well, you know, and read about them. That they they had a competition, they had a falling out, and he was speaking to that. It was just a small problem at first, but he was speaking to that, and the, and the answer to that was to have a kenosis experience, where the one woman, in a sense, is going to push the other woman above herself. You know, that's what it was all about. We empty ourselves out in service to others. Okay, and this is something that this is something I want to emphasize for you. It's not just a one-time thing where you go down to the altar and you have the kenosis experience. It's an over and over and over and over again thing all of your life. Possibly, you know, everybody's different, but possibly the best way to do it is to first do it when we get up every morning to lay ourselves out. I will pour out my life at your feet, Lord, every morning. But do we think to do that or do we just rush out the door? You know, I've been guilty. I haven't do always done it. I've been flippant about it. But this is the hour when we need to begin to assimilate, let mine be in our lives, that leads to the kenosis experience. Let's go on. I'm taking a long time today, but this is such an important topic. Jesus came to live and show us how Abba intended a man or woman to live that was fully dependent on him. We'll say that. John 13, 1-7. John 13, 1 to 7. I'm going to emphasize verses 12 to 17. When Jesus had washed their feet, see, that's what we're talking about, Mary, too, you know. He put on his robe, he reclined and said to them, Do you know that I have what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. This is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to also wash one another's feet. Does that mean we're going to literally do that? Well, we might, but that's not the point. This is a figure and a metaphor of true servanthood, of true pushing others above yourself, of true humility, of honoring someone above and beyond you, giving them honor. That's what this is about. That's what the Lord was doing. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done. Yes, wash the feet. Some churches have that, and I've been in those services, and when they're done right, they're really beautiful. But, but the example he's giving them is a pouring out of his life in service to them and to others. I assure you that a slave is not greater than a master, and a messenger is not greater than Jesus, that greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I'm going to give you Matthew 26, 7 to 13. I, Matthew 26, 7 to 13. I wrote it down in my notes. I did not type it out, but I believe, I know this is about. Um, this is about Mary, and I had talked to you a lot about that. And the song that I sang today is about Mary pouring that alabaster out at Jesus' feet. Well, I'm going to turn there for just a second, Matthew 26. I mean, we'll take the time to do it because it, this is such an important topic. Um, Matthew 27, I'm just going to go there just to make sure. I don't want to spend uh, go back all the way into it again. But it is important. Matthew 26. I have to get there. All right. Matthew 26, 7 through 13. All right. 
Matthew 26. I got to get to verse 7. Let's see. A woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. She poured it on his head as he sat at the table. However, when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. And this is so beautiful. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good thing for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, whenever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told as a memorial. In other words, Jesus, this was going to be a memorial. It was such an important thing. Jesus made it a memorial unto Mary of her pouring herself out. Isn't that powerful? Let's go to Philippians 2, verse 8. We have to finish up. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He is serv her servitude led him to that place of the death of the cross. In likeness of man, he became, the Greek says, fashion or appearance. He humbled. That means he made himself low, like we're talking about. That's what the word means. He ran low. This is not the emptying part exactly, but refers to the self-humiliation of death on a cross. Um, let's see. It was not enough for Jesus to just show us how a person fully dependent on Abba should live, but he gave up his right as God's favored son. He was fully able to bear and take on all the world's injury, sin, and insults, ultimately resulting in a willing nest to go and die on a cross okay so it's really led to us it sh he showed us what that was like okay M but he did more than that he became that man that died on the cross right luke 9 23 and 24 and, and he was saying them to them if anyone wants to come after me he must deny himself that's the kenosis experience he must empty himself out that's not uh, that may not be the Greek word there, but I'm I'm referring back to what Philippians says. Take up his cross and follow me. See, and it says daily. This isn't a one-time thing. We have to do it daily. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. See, if you're trying to grasp onto it like that scripture says, he thought it not robbery, then you're going to lose it. Um, but if you lose it for my sake, you're going to gain it. Jesus in Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy, remember the journey of joy last time? Set before him, endured the cross, despising the same, and sat down at the right hand throne of God. All right, let's go on. Wherefore God has highly exalted him, verse 9 of Philippians 2, and given him a name which is above every name. That is wherefore also, that is because Jesus voluntarily humbled himself, God then highly exalted him. The Greek construction of this term means to exalt to the highest rank and power, to raise to supreme majesty. That is supereminent exaltation. Um, given, God has also 
given him a name, given, as in Romans 8.32. Uh, we find it there also. He spared not his son, but delivered him up for all who shall, uh, all, us all, how shall he not with him also freely give, given, give, us all things. Given and freely given. In these verses, the Greek word, Cherizomai, cherizomai, to show favor, grant, or bestow, forgive. That's what the word means, given or give, in both Romans 8.32 and in Philippians 2.9. This speaks in regard to our salvation uh, that God freely gave to us through Jesus, as well as here, Abba, bestowing on the man Christ Jesus the exalted position, because he voluntarily uh, made himself in a subordinate position uh, as a sin bearer on the cross. Other translations say freely bestowed, Vincent, gave, Lightfoot, graciously given, Thayer. Not just a name, but the name. The name, the, the name above every name. The definite article appearing in the Greek language refers to a particular name, the one and only name. The name is a common Hebrew title which denotes office, rank, dignity, See the names of God in the Old Testament, divine presence, divine majesty, adoration, and praise. Wow. All in that one name. It's a unique name. There's no other name like that name. John 17, 5. Now, O Father, glorify thou with thine own self with the glory which I have had with thee before the world was. Every Jew reading this would know immediately what Paul was speaking of, because in the Jewish scriptures, there was a name that was never pronounced. They called him the ineffable tetragrammaton. The ineffable tetragrammaton. Ineffable means unspeakable, unpronounceable. Tetragrammaton refers to four letters, Y-H-W-H. It was the name Yahweh, Jehovah, but they wouldn't pronounce it because it was so holy to them. Jehovah Christ won this position through his resurrection that all names should bow. Uh, let's read verse 10. That's not what it says. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, Philippians 2.10, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Let's go ahead here. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. It is at the name that uh, belongs to and was given to Jesus at his exaltation that every knee will bow to. At should be in the name of Jesus, not just at the name of Jesus. It really should be that in the name of Jesus. That's the literal Greek. Every knee should bow. The name is the soup is the spiritual. The name is the spiritual metron or spear in which every prayer should be offered and to which every knee will bow or shall bow. All creation will give honor and homage or homage to the name. Isaiah 45, 22 to 23. All the ends of the earth, let me see, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God. There is no other. By myself I have sworn, truth has gone from my mouth, a word that will not be revoked. Every knee will bow to me, and every tongue will swear allegiance. Okay? Romans 14, 10 to 12. But you, why do you criticize your brother? Uh, why do you look down on your brother? For you will stand before the tribunal of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, every tongue will give praise to God. 
So then each of us will give account to God. Acts 2.33, Therefore, since he has been give, exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. Verse 11, Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Philippians 2.11, Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Confess in the Greek literally means to openly or plainly confess, to agree with someone. This word also means to publicly declare. We're going to declare Jesus is Lord. And it's often associated with praise and thanksgiving. Amen? Let's go on. Just what does Lord mean? And, and Lord means he has the right to everything he surveys. And sometimes, like I said, we get into other languages and cultures to better describe something. So let's look at what uh, uh, this story about um, a kingdom or a lord in Scotland. In Scotland, he is called the laird. The laird of the castle has the right to ownership and authority. He holds the key to everything the one has mastered all the forces he controls, and is perfectly at ease in every situation he encounters. Paul says Christ is the one who won the position because he unhesitantly and unreservedly committed himself to all that was involved in the mind of Christ. That attitude of his own heart that led him first to immortality, then ignominy, and finally to unequaled glory. Okay? You will receive, let's look at this in conclusion. We're trying to finish up here. You will receive the mind of Christ. Uh, we talked about that. Let mind be, or receive that only to the degree that you believe and receive it. It's already there for you. It, it, it's, it's provided for you by God. And this cannot help but lead to a kenosis encounter. The result will be peace and the end of conflict. Okay? Paul is saying here, let the mind of Christ involving the renunciation of your rights and the willingness to accept injury break through in your life. Accept these conditions as God's will for you. Let me read that again. Paul is saying here, let the mind of Christ, that is, involving the renunciation of your own rights, and the willingness to accept injury break through in your life. Accept these conditions as God's will for your life. This is why you have Christ in you. Accept the hurt without complaint. And without fail, he will bring you through to victory and to peace. Isaiah 26.3 is a cross-reference. Thou will keep him in peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Okay, the first part of this lesson, the journey to joy, is to assimilate and let mind be of Christ in your mind and in your heart, and then that will always lead to the emptying out of yourself totally and being a servant unto others, of laying your life down for them. And that, my friend, is the Kingdom Corner podcast for this week. Be blessed. Thank you for joining us for another great discussion on The Kingdom Corner, hosted by Matt Geib. 
remember to click the subscribe button so you can be notified of each new episode as it's released. To enjoy an even deeper dive into God's Word, check out Matt's new devotional book, Searching for Significance, a devotional journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. Learn more and even hear from Matt himself on the devotional website, significanceacademy.com. As always, thank you for being a part of the Kingdom Corner.